Underway on a Thursday, February 29th with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. My name is Pat Steinberg and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. We're coming at you from our uh, downtown studio, Doug Lace's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. Well, as we get set for Saturday's Mika Kiprasov jersey retirement ceremony, which starts at 6.20 p.m. ahead of a Flames-Pittsburgh Penguins game on Saturday night, it's, it's you can start to feel the buzz in this city, and people are starting to get into town, and people are starting to get ready for what's going to be a really cool weekend. And uh, you know what? A lot of Mika sharing stories or, or, or stories about Kipper in the next couple of days on Flames Talk leading up to Saturday's Jersey retirement. And so uh, this one was a no-brainer when Wes and I were talking about it. When Mika Kiprasov was acquired in late 2003, this gentleman was in his first year as the goaltending coach of the Calgary Flames. He spent six years as the Flames goaltending coach, would also spend a number of seasons as goalie coach with the Carolina Hurricanes, and uh, is now running the David Marcuse School of Goaltending. Funny enough, it's former Flames goaltender David Marcuse joining us on Flames Talk. David, it is awesome to have you on. It's Pat and Wes. How are we doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me, boy. I got to, I, I gotta, before we get into some of the stories and, and looking back, I, this, this has got to be a pretty special weekend for you, hey? This has got to feel pretty neat to see number 34 getting hung to the rafters, hey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Saturday night will be an amazing night where we'll we'll all go back in time and realize really how much Kipper had a huge impact, not only on his, this team, but on this city also. So I'm really looking forward to uh, reconnecting with, uh, with Mika and also in all the players and all the, all the personnel that was there uh, in those, uh, you know, great six years that I spent with the, uh, with the Calgary Flames. So Take us back in time. Let's do that. Let's let's hop in the time machine. Take us back to late 2003. You're in your first season as the goaltending coach of the Calgary Flames, and then this deal gets swung. A second-round pick to San Jose for Mika Kiprasov coming back the other way. What was kind of your initial impression of the deal when it was made? Well, obviously, uh, you know, from my standpoint, coming from uh, Quebec in the Quebec uh, <clears throat> Quebec Junior League, uh, and following more of the Montreal Canadiens at the time, uh, Marco Kiprasov. It's funny, Mika Kiprasov's brother was a call-up defenseman for Montreal, so that's kind of where the name came up to me the first time. And uh, it, obviously, Daryl knew what he was, what he was. Uh, you know, coming from the San Jose organization, uh, he knew that situation with Nabokov and Toskala. And uh, 
Kipper came to came to Calgary in that uh, in that trade in 2003, and obviously seeing the situation here with Roman Turek and Jamie McLennan, he didn't want to find himself also as uh, you know the, the the third string goalie again on this organization. So we built a very good relationship. It was based on you know getting to know each other in the first part, but as soon as he saw that he had an opportunity. You know, I was I was privileged, really privileged, to uh, recognize that he to to see a, a goalie coming up and trying to establish himself as uh, an NHL goalie, and then moving on and keep on developing <clears throat> into a an, an elite uh, elite goaltender. And he was such a competitor. He wanted to go up against the best of the best, the Hasseks and the Brodeurs and uh, Marty Turcos. And, and it, was, it was a fun time. In that first week, obviously, it was very clear to me that, wow, this guy has something special. We don't quite know what we have here, but just his ability. And that was the first time that I connected really with a, a, a goalie from Finland. But just his ability to catch pucks across his body um that was the first time that i was like oh wow we can we can make our our d zone quite a bit simpler if he keeps those pucks and if he sees pucks he can he can really keep them so that was that was very interesting and that first week obviously uh, you know beating montreal and chicago i believe in in that first week um it was it was it was a good time it was like oh we have a chance here so it kind of evolved from there, right? And he gets he got injured in that little stretch. And then Roman Turek jumped back into action and played pretty well. But then once once Mika came back from that month out, it was kind of like, okay, this thing is solidified. Let's see where let's see where this thing can go. David, at what point did you feel like Oof, we we might have something pretty special with this group and with this guy between the pipes. Like th- th- this guy might carry us to places we weren't necessarily thinking. Yeah, you know what? Everything was. Uh, we were that team in two thousand three oh four. That team was a bunch of guys, a hardworking group, including you know the coaches, from the coaches to the trainers to you know Gus Thorson and Mark DePasquale and 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 all those. You know that everybody wanted to be part of the solution. Um, obviously, we had you know we had some high end skill with with Jerome out there, but you know and and Connie and and the, but the workers, the Marty Jelena, Stefaniel, Dono, uh, Sean Donovan, and and the young guys, Matt Lombardi and Chuck Kobasu. I mean, there's there's something that that group came together, and obviously the backbone of that organization. Uh, you know, in those games, once we were trying to uh, to get into the playoffs, it was Mika Kippersoff on the back there. So the injury, for sure, uh, was kind of a setback. But when you when you look at at that moment, uh, there was one aspect where Kipper, one of his weaknesses, I could say, at the time, was his puck handling skills. And when you go down with an injury to your knee, you can't really go down in the butterfly. So what we were doing, we were going out early and uh, basically doing a lot of puck handling work and just building that other extra element 
the game changer, the separator skill that helped him all those moments of, of working together in the puck handling skills and, and creating the proper communication also with the group of defensemen, the Warners, the Regeers, and Denny Gauthier and Andrew Ferenc. I mean, those, those were good moments that just propelled us to a different level when he was ready to come back. So when you, uh, when you hit the ice for game one against Vancouver in that 2004 playoff series, what, uh, like, here's, here's Mika Kiprasov. He'd never played in the NHL playoffs before. Uh, what, what was, what were you picking up from Mika then? Like what, what, what was the, uh, how, how, how dialed, how focused, how ready to go was, was Kipper for that, that playoff run when you hit the ice for game one in Vancouver? Well, you know, if we backtrack a little bit, just to be in that, uh, game in, uh, a few weeks prior where we were out of a playoff picture, but then we played the era, the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, and Mika shuts the door to allow us to get into that playoff. I mean, the fans, the the vibe, the energy that the, just the, the momentum and the wave that Calgary took took uh, on its own, the sea of red, and all those moments. Those were great moments. So now that you know that you're going into playoffs and you're playing a top team in Vancouver Canucks. You do your work, you do your prep work, obviously, and, and the scouting report on their power play and the Sedins and all those guys, the, the high-end skill, but you never really know until you get in there. And it's a funny, uh, funny moment when we go into Vancouver, we prepare, um, and our mission, our mission basically was to go in there and steal one game, steal one game, and then come back to our building with two two opportunities to uh, to get some wins. But when we lose the first game, five to three, after the game, uh, Daryl Sutter wanted to validate, I think, with me, wanted to validate uh, if, if Kipper was truly ready for this opportunity. So he basically was frustrated with the score, and he said, I knew it. I friggin' knew it. I should have put, I said, what do you mean, Daryl? I said, I sh-, he said, I should have put Ro- Roman Turek has the, has the experience of playoffs. I knew we should have played the other guy. So I just let that settle down. And I remember going back through video and looking at those goals. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of traffic and a lot of screens and a lot of chaos, but I said, Daryl, the next morning, I said, Daryl, you can do what you want because both goalies are ready to play. But Mika Kiprasov was ready, and those were not goals. Those were not on him. So you can do what you want, but imagine that situation where the things changed. Daryl wanted to validate that Kipper was obviously his guy, but it was, it was interesting to see what would have happened you know, had had Roman Turek played the game too. And and now to me, Kipper I think always felt that I had his back in the coach's room and, you know, even Jamie McLennan, we would have Roman Turek once told him, he says, Kipper, this is your team now. Uh you tell me what you need and I'll I'll be there for you whenever you need. So we had a goalie department uh throughout the year 
we had a goalie department actually when when goaltending departments were not even a thing in the NHL like they are today. We're chatting with uh, David Marcoux, former Flames goaltending coach, was with Mika Kippersoff for his first six seasons here in Calgary. Joining us on Flames Talk as we get set for Mika's jersey retirement coming up on Saturday night. It's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Flames Talk on this Thursday. Wes? David, I was smiling when you were recounting that great story about Daryl Sutter saying we should play the other guy because for about the next decade or so I don't think any Flames coach very often said we should play the other guy one of the stats that is going to jump out as we talk about Mika is seven straight seasons with 70 plus appearances and two straight seasons with 76 starts can you just add some perspective as a, a longtime goalie coach to how difficult that type of workload would be and and what made Mika one of those special guys who could handle it well, that's interesting, Wes, because, you know, I had the privilege of coaching in both conferences, heading over to Carolina for three years, also after my stint with Calgary. And to be in the Western Conference and to play these many games when you compare to the East, for example, Marty Berdur with the New Jersey Devils, I witnessed firsthand the travel and the lack of, you know, change, time changes and all that. To do what Mika was able to do in the Western Conference with all the time changes, that is truly a remarkable feat. And to be able to take care of his body physically and to be able to weather a lot of storms, because we did go through some ups and downs, and, and just to get back the next day and go back to work, it's truly remarkable what he was able to do in that uh in that span to be able to play 70 plus games. What's the secret to keeping a guy motivated when, you know, it kind of feels like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be back in there for the next one. So how, you know, what, what motivated Mika or, or how did others kind of keep him motivated in that stretch? Well, that's a great question because you look at, you know, just obviously to start step one for him was an easy was an easy one to, to establish himself as a, as a, as a true NHL starter, but to, to, to become elite, he was always asking a lot of questions in terms of, you know, the puck handling, who are the best, who, how can I learn from Marty Turco, for example, how, what does he do? Marty Berger in the East, um, just, just using, he wanted to be part of that elite group. And obviously going and, you know, getting, getting the, uh, the uh, definitely the mileage and the minutes and the consistency in his game, that, that, was, that was definitely a big key. Um, I mean, it was, it was spectacular to see. Uh, on nights that we did not get the offensive support because, you know, God knows that we were, we were offensively challenged when, uh, when Jerome was, was in a slump, for example, for, for, for the little that that ever happened. Yeah. But it's just, you know, to go up against Luongo. And, and those were things that, you know, I would, I would find in, in details that we were, we were on the same page in terms of, 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 of keeping the motivation up. And if Daryl, that, that was the big thing too, the motivational skills with Daryl Sutter, he was, 
you know, it, it was a smart way of doing it. There's some old school in them, but anytime the team was having a rough patch, he would go after Mika Kippersoff. And the guys know, ask Rhett Warner, for example, uh, when, when Daryl in the room, Daryl was going attacking, you know, directly Mika Kippersoff that he wasn't good enough last night and all this. The guys knew, and and you just look at the stats after a plus four goal game, for example. Yeah, that that was the consistency where we would shut the Kipper would shut the door after those types of games, games. But the whole team bought in, and they reset, and they knew what it took in, you know, in that era of of, of hockey. Also, uh, two thousand three was was before the, the the rule changes and all that. But we needed to clamp down because we were going to win this thing with the one nothing mindset. You know, it's it's funny, David. What Wes asked you about the seventy six start seasons and playing all that time. Like you're, you're if you're going through a year where he's starting seventy six times, my crack math tells me that that means only six nights where he doesn't play. How the heck do you as a goaltending coach, like you and Mika work working together, how do you decide when to rest the guy? Like what, when, when there's so few games that you're sitting him down for, how the heck do you decide when those games are? Well, I think it has to do more at that time. It had to do more with managing his, his practice time. And if you look back in the 0304 season, he did play only 38 games. Uh, so that's why he really peaked. The team peaked heading into playoffs, but he was fresh heading into playoffs also. And, uh, you know, we learned a lot from that year. We learned, learned a lot from that experience. But when you want to be an elite, considered an elite team again, and you're on the outside of a playoff uh, playoff spot, you play your top players. And obviously when Mike Keenan came in, uh, you know, we have a few, few good stories about that where, you know, playing 15 games in a row, Mika Kippersov has a, a poor outing on a first game of a back-to-back in St. Louis. And we head over to, uh, to uh, Denver to play the Avalanche the next night. Well, that long bus trip when you land in Colorado and, and head to the Westin Hotel I'm trying to get into Mike Keenan's ear about Kipper needs a break. Mike, we need to understand. We need to play Curtis McElhaney. And, and at the time, I'm not even sure Mike Keenan knew who our backup was. But, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's, to, to see that moment where 2 o'clock in the morning, Mike Keenan gets off the bus and he's waiting in the lobby and I'm waiting at a distance and he got he, – calls Mika over and uh, he says, Mika, do you know Glenn Hall? And it's two o'clock in the morning and Kipper has no clue. He's been snoozing in the bus or whatever. And he just basically says, well, no, like, are we playing Glenn Hall tomorrow? I guess the avalanche. So it's like, Glenn, Keenan says, Glenn Hall played five friggin' years without a break. You're playing tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you had those moments where you just needed basically to, to say, well, Kip, let's go, let's get our rest, and let's go back at it tomorrow. But just to manage the ice time, the practice time, 
he was very uh very open to a lot of video and as opposed to going out on the ice so any days that we could have breaks where he was still doing some mental works but not going out on the ice and conserving energy basically David, I'm so glad you shared the Glenn Hall, Mike Keenan story because it's one of my favorites. <laughs> awesome. But you you didn't get to my favorite part. Would you mind sharing? And, and we talked about this uh, a few days ago. It, it sort of provides a little insight into Mika, the competitor, and, and Mika, sort of the comedian. Would, would you mind sharing what happens when he heads up to his hotel room in Denver that night? Yeah, obviously the last part of that, Mika doesn't realize, so he's he's going up in his room and, and he goes, he takes the time to actually go on Wikipedia and he Googles Glenn Hall. So then at two 30 in the morning, he gives Mike Keenan a call up in his room and he gives them the whole, the, the whole pedigree of Glenn Hall. And now he's just to show Mike that he had actually did his, done his homework. So that was, that was a funny, uh, funny aspect <laughs> to finish off that story. Everyone wants to know about, you know what? Okay, I'm, and I'm sure you were asked a million times. You know what? What's Mika like? What you know? How would you describe Mika? And that that sense of humor is something that those who have been fortunate to be close to him or or remain close to him always bring up. What can you tell us about uh, the comedic side of Mika Kiprasov? Well, you know, it's just a very very dry sense of humor. Um, and, and he would follow through with, with a joke. Again, Mike Keenan, uh, he loved to get in the ear of, of, of goalies sometimes. And uh, at one point, Keenan came over to him in practice. We were at the corral on the other side of the street. And he says, Mika, he says, why are you always on your knees? So Kippard had, didn't even have an answer for him. But throughout that whole practice, and I'm obviously not privy to that conversation as they were skating around, but I'm watching my goalie. And my goalie, in the, in the start of practice, he's going all old school stand-up with kick saves <laughs> just because Mike Keenan told him that he was too much of a, back, of a, of a butterfly goalie. So for about a week, he is going, and as soon as I'm out there on the ice, he's doing these kick saves and old skate saves. And so, you know, that was his type of humor. Uh, another another funny situation occurred. We might all remember, uh, you know, the Nashville, in Nashville, the fight against Thomas Bokun. Thomas Bokun was a six-foot-one goalie, with, but he was a stocky and a very, very strong guy. And the game was out of reach and, the, you know, havoc started to happen. And then Mika kept, kept looking down at the, at the other end and Vokun came down. And then there was the fight, the goalie fight. And obviously the, we laughed about that. But Kipper forgot to undo his glove Velcro and he was not able to grab onto Vokun. So he's getting hit and he's getting hit in the head and he's more and more red. And obviously, Volkun won that fight by a, by a country mile. But about one year after, one year after, Kipper is having a coffee on the bike, and he's watching Sportsnet, and he's just looking at the ticker. And at the time, Volkun had a blood clot, 
and he was done for the season, and that came up on the ticker. So he's yelling at me, Dave, Dave, come over here, come over here. He says, I told you I won that fight a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of, kind of character he was. He used it. He knew that that was a, a tough fight, and he, he, he didn't win that one. But uh, ultimately, a year, a year later, he, he ended up winning. Dave, Pat and I have both had, you know, numerous conversations with Jason LaBarbera, the the current goaltending coach for the Flames. And, you know, one of the yeah. things he brings up often about his current guys is, you know, it's really important to me that they're they're good teammates and that, you know, the guys know they have their back and, you know, that they're sort of part of the the group. From your vantage point, and I know we're going to hear some of his longtime buddies praise him on Saturday night, but what made Mika a good teammate? Well, it's funny that you asked because you had moments throughout the years where either Jerome McGinley was having a hard time. He was on a dry spell for a couple of games. So in practice, Mika purposely would let him score. And, you know, till this day, I was like watching him consistently. Kipper, you're off angle. You're off angle. What's going on? Well, it was Jerome, and I'm trying to help him out. And it's like, so Jerome never get in a, in a dry spell for too long because Mika was, was, showed his leadership and a great teammate skills by allowing him a few more goals in practice to make, to make Jerome feel good. And, you know, another situation, we had Adrian O'Coyne back in the day that was dealing with, the, uh, with, the, with a shoulder injury, and he was playing. But, you know, obviously in the video – the next day and when Kipper would go out to play the puck, we had the overhead video and looking, reviewing the puck handling options. And I was like, Kipper, why did you not go to O'Coin, Oki in the back on the backside when you were in the trapezoid? He says, well, listen, he says, he's dealing with a, a shoulder injury. He doesn't want the puck. So he says, I was choosing other options. So just to have that goaltending IQ in that just trying to help others around him, that's a huge – he was not the vocal leader like everybody knows in Calgary in terms of his, you know, speaking or whatever, and we'll see that on Saturday night. That'll be interesting. <laughs> but in, in, in terms of wanting not just – it wasn't about the me, it was about the we. It was about the us and how can we be better and how can I help teammates get better around me also. David, this has been awesome just hearing these stories. I got well. I I got to close on what you just said there about uh, hey, they they've allotted like fifty minutes or sixty minutes for for this. I know that uh, Noodles is going to talk, so you know we know Jamie can talk, and there'll be a good video, and you know there'll be there'll be lots of time. But you know, the, Mika's also supposed to get up to the podium and and talk at the dome on Saturday. Uh, what like what what are we talking about? How? What, what's if, if I were to go over under five minutes on the speech, you, you know him better than we do, is uh, what, how, how would you handicap that? Well, he's never disappointed the city of Calgary yet, so I don't see that being a problem either. I think Jamie was probably uh, out hunting and fishing with him up in, uh, up in, uh, in the mountains probably in the last couple of days and, and figuring out and helping out that part because... Kipper is uh, is a class act, and he's he's quite the competitor. 
And uh, he understands the importance of this. And I'm so happy for him. So proud of this, this guy and his, you know, when, when will he be back in Calgary? Nobody really knows, but yeah. for him to have this weekend and to be acknowledged by the city of Calgary, by the people of the, the, the Calgary Flames fans, this is a huge honor. It's going to be pretty special. We'll uh, see you at the luncheon on Friday, David. Really looking forward to uh, to seeing you, but really appreciate the time and uh, sharing some stories with us here on Flames Talk. That was awesome, hey? Well, thanks for having me, guys. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks, David. That's uh, David Marco, the former goaltending coach of the Calgary Flames. Like the, the stories, the insight on just how difficult it was for, and and I really like the perspective. I would never have thought about it until he brought it up with the Western Conference yeah. perspective of all that travel, and you're still playing 72, 74, 76 games in a season. That was pretty neat. Great stuff from uh, from David on this uh, on this Thursday. Absolutely awesome. That uh, if you missed any of that, you'll want to you'll want to go replay it. Hundred percent terrific. Uh, David Marku joining us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, let's continue the goaltending conversation. Great stuff with uh, former Flames goaltending coach David Marku as he gave us some great insight on his six years as Mika Kiprasov's goaltending coach. And now from one goalie guru to another, our weekly goalie guru is Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Happy to catch up with Kevin on this Thursday, as we always do as well. Mr. Woodley, appreciate the time. It's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you on this Thursday. Uh, it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Like when, when Roberto Luongo had his night in Vancouver think the same thing here in Calgary about Mika Kiprasov on Saturday and him getting his due and his jersey number 34 retired it's a pretty special week for a lot of Flames fans yeah <laughs> the comparison be the Flames did it right and they're hanging up his jersey and the Canucks didn't do that with Roberto Luongo but I digress um, man just one of the one of the one of the greats of that era, like just one of the best. And it's interesting. I didn't know you had David on before, so I'll be I'd be kind of curious if if what I say matches what he did because I was trying to remember all this. Like I wrote so many different stories over the years, and one of the things I wanted to sort of point out to people was that as talented as Mika was when he arrived in Calgary, you know there were a lot of things that that David Marcoux did that you know I'm not sure everybody remembers or is aware of to sort of get even more out of him, like. You know, and and again, I'm trying to remember all the exact details correctly, and I don't want to get any of them wrong. And <laughs> sadly, these stories are so old uh, that they're on computers. I know lo- that no longer work, and in you know they were in print editions, not on websites, so you can't go find them. But you know, things like proper leg recovery. Um, Kipper arrived from San Jose, where he was a product of the Warren Strelo uh, teaching. Uh, obviously, Strelo is in the USA Hockey Hall of Fame, and and arguably should be in the Hall of Fame as one of the first ever goalie coaches that, you know, wasn't a former goalie. And, but a lot of skating, a lot of old school sort of stand up. And uh, you think of Nabokov and you think of Toskala, 
uh, and Johan Hedberg as guys that came out of there. But proper leg recovery, something that, you know, at the time 12-year-olds were learning, there were guys in the NHL that didn't know that. And so, you know, think of, you know, to just try and break it down real simply, if you're on your knees in a butterfly and you need to recover back up to your feet in order to move left or right, if I want to move to my left, the most efficient way to do it is to lift my right skate as a drive leg and push across as I'm lifting my left. So you get up off your right skate. That's your proper leg recovery. And obviously vice versa. If you want to move right, you get up off your left skate. And there was an entire generation of goalies that didn't really have that as part of their foundation. And if I remember correctly, Kipper was one of them. And it was, you know, it was David Marcoux who sort of added that to his repertoire that added another layer of efficiency to a goaltender who, you know, clearly had a ton of skill. If I remember correctly, you know, puck handling and some of the things he did, even when he first got there before they could, because he arrived injured. Um, and so he wasn't able to do everything on the ice. So I, I just think as incredibly talented as he was, like don't overlook the role that David Marcoux played. And I'm sure David probably downplayed it. Um, but the role he played was significant in sort of getting even more in the best out of Mika Kippersoff in Calgary. We, uh, we, we've talked you and I before you, Wes and I before about the workloads of goaltenders as time goes along and as the position, the, the knowledge of the position evolves, evolves, evolves. We've talked a lot about how, you know, 60 starts, that's too high. And, and it continues to come down. Maybe now the sweet spot is closer to 52 to 55 starts for a goalie. Kevin, this guy appeared in 70 games in seven straight seasons. He started 70 or more in six straight seasons. He had back-to-back 76 start seasons and did that all in the Western Conference with, with the travel. I, I, I never played the position, and I have a hard time wrapping my head around that with what we know about goaltenders now. But, you know, for you, who's so entrenched in this, in this world, how do you even reflect on that type of workload? Well, I mean, the game's changed. I think that's part of it, right? Like, it's not like the goaltenders today are worse athletes. Um, but the games and the demands of it, both physically and mentally, have definitely changed since that era. So I do think that's part of it. Um, but Kipper was a guy who, you know, and this sort of goes down to equipment. Like, he's one of the last guys I remember that tied his, the toes, the toe ties of his pads so tight that his skates wouldn't go to the ice. Um, and so, again, to try and paint a quick visual here for people that don't automatically know what I'm talking about, like, the the skate connects to the bottom of the pad um, with a skate lace, what we call a toe tie. And again, modern butterfly goalies are taught, or sometimes they use even bungees now, uh, goalie companies, equipment companies that develop different systems where you can have an elastic or a bungee to connect it, or goalies would just tie knots in it to leave a gap down there so that when you drop into the butterfly, there's enough space in that tie that link between the, the middle of the pad and your skate, that your skate drops naturally into the ice. And Kipper wore his so tight, and that was part of that generation, but he wore it so tight that his skates were actually in the air when he was on his knees in the butterfly. And like that, the amount of stress that adds to the knees and the hips, um, it's actually almost exponential. Uh, and that's why we teach kids to sort of have that gap in their toe ties now. Um, but it was never an issue for him, despite playing as much as he did. And one of the things that, that he did as much as anyone was like, he, I'm not sure I've, anyone's ever stretched as much as Mika Kippersoff. And there's, the, the stories were sort of legendary. As I understood it on a game day, it was 45 minutes before he hit the ice, 45 minutes after he hit the ice, 
45 minutes before the game, 45 minutes after the game. So that's, that's three hours a day of stretching to sort of maintain the flexibility and the mobility that fuels being able to play, not just at such a high level in so many games, but a game that had a lot of explosiveness to it, right? Like a lot of reactionary stuff. And, and again, just more product of the style by certainly no means is that a criticism. Like that's just the way it was. And he was as good as anyone at it. So, um, you know, it's funny too, because there were some stories and I remember, uh, getting one from one of his former Finnish national team teammates. And I'm, t- I'm trying to remember which, which teammate it was, but the stories were sort of legendary of the character of Mika Kippersoff, uh, being in Finland at a, at a camp and the coach sending everybody out for this long run where they went into the woods and went on this long run and, and Mika on his way out, as soon as they got into the woods, out of the eyes of the coach stopping. And as the story goes, eating berries until everybody had done their loop and come back and then tagging onto the back end of the group and finishing the run without actually having done it. So I, you can almost get the sense like that would almost imply a laziness or an aloofness, but the way he trained, the way he took care of his body to be able to play at the level he did, um, you know, clearly a guy who, uh, for all the, those, those sort of character moments, was very dedicated to his craft. Kevin, my, my longtime colleague and good friend Randy Sportak asked him about that story one time. I think it was Vesa Toskala who first spilled the beans on the... Uh, Ratted him out. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and Mika's response was something he, he told Randy, and I'll never forget this. Uh, he, he was ahead of his time because now we know that uh, blueberries have all those antioxidants. So <laughs> It was berries, see? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, like... Um, there were some quirks to his game, right? And this is, you know, goalies can be a little cookie cutter. Now, as much as no two play exactly the same, they've, it, it's weird. There are nuances with it in every goalie's game now where there are differences in, how, in every goalie, and there is no one way to play this position. And that's why I love it so much. It, there can be so many differences. And yet they have started to look more and more like with, within that. Like Kipper, remember the glove hand and, and how he used to turn it over as he sort of, prepared for a glove save he would literally turn the glove as like as the shooter was winding up so it was facing the shooter and then open it back up and make the catch and again as it was explained to me the story i was given on that one was back in finland when he was younger he had a goalie coach at some point along the way that would line pucks on the up on their end and take slap shots up high at his head and it became almost a defense mechanism that ended up being ingrained in his game. And, and again, this is the only thing I worry about. It's been so long since I've written or heard or shared those stories of, you know, making sure I'm not sure I have every detail just right, but those are some of the ones like that one jumps out at me. And, and could you imagine today um, if you were to have that type, I think we'd call it a hitch and every coach would probably try and drill it out of him at this level. And, and so there's another credit to David Marquette too. I think that, you know, there were probably some things that, may have looked different and unique. And, and, and as a coach, I, I have to imagine you'd be tempted to want to change them. And yet when a guy does it with the, the level of success that Mika does, you know, you, you've got to know when to find those lines on what to change and, and what to let go. Kevin, if you, if you pulled modern NHL goalies, you know, the guys playing the position in the league today, and you asked them, okay, you can have one Mika Kippersoft trait. You can have, you know, is it the flexibility? Is it the composure is it the athletic you can have one Mika Kippersoft trait what do you think they're taking 
Oh, I, I think it's that's a really good question. Um, I, I was due. I was due. I, he's on fire today, yeah. Kevin. He is. He is red hot. <laughs> um, I, I my 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 hunch would be the flexibility, Wes. Like I, like I think it just stands out to me. Um, you know, I talked about the way the pads were tied and how he liked to have them tied, and yet he still was able to just extend into ranges and and be durable within that. The the glove was exceptional. Like the hands on top of the foundation, and I talked about David sort of improving on that foundation when he was on his knees, uh, giving him a down game that wasn't there before, but the hands on top of that were incredible. And yet because of that hitch, I'm not sure every goalie would pick it, but um, not an easy guy to beat on the glove side. All that said, I, I still think flexibility would be the one, um, especially if they, especially if you told them they could have the flexibility, but didn't tell them about the three hours of stretching on a game day required to maintain it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're chatting with Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Just uh, just one last one for you, Kevin, before we uh, say goodbye for this week. And next week we'll be doing it the day before the trade deadline, which will be really, really interesting. Uh, but I, I just, with with the Flames having made their deal and, and Chris Tanev being moved to Dallas, and, and he gave us a little bit of perspective last week when he asked you, is, is Jacob Markstrom the type of goaltender that can keep a team competitive even after losing a complete pairing like Hannafin and Tanev? And Hannafin we wait on, but Tanev is no longer a member of the Flames. I'm just curious your perspective now, how it relates to the Flames and Markstrom with Chris Tanev, a member of the Dallas Stars. You lose predictability. Um, you know, and obviously Tanev, a guy that, that Jacob knew here, right? So like, you know, understanding the nuances of where Chris is going to be on the ice at certain times in certain situations, how he's going to read and play off of specifics uh, in terms of how a team attacks, where and when, knowing that he's always going to be in a lane to eat a puck. So, for example, if there's something, Tanev's on your back door um, or he's on the backside, you know, if you're Jacob Markstrom, you know you can, you know, maybe take a little ice on uh, uh, and square up on a shooter on the front side knowing that if that pass does get across and you can't recover the space, uh, if Chris isn't in position to break it up or prevent a shot, he's definitely going to be there to eat a puck for you, right? So um, the steadiness that he brings and the reliability he brings within the way he plays will be missed as a goaltender who, you know, would have been very comfortable trusting in that. You know, I talked last week about where they are defensively and how they're a bottom five team in the league with all the underlying metrics and how the one thing that was not was the penalty kill, and, I, and I'm assuming that will take a step back mm-hmm. without Tanev. It gets tougher again with all, all those things. But, you know, to me, it's, it, it's that, that predictability, that ability to trust that when that guy is on the ice in front of me as a goaltender, I know where he's going to be, I know what he's going to do, and I know how much and exactly in what way he's going to be able to help me. And that can literally affect how I play things on the on the side of the ice opposite of him because I know that presence is there missing that you know it can affect your game in a lot of different ways as you adjust to somebody else being in that place yep Kevin great stuff as always man we didn't even get to uh, the Elias Pedersen uh, Pedersen situation in Vancouver but we got uh, we got lots of time and we got a, a, a pre-trade deadline chat to get to next week as well really appreciate the time as always my friend great stuff and, and really appreciate the insight on Mika Kiprasov that was uh, that was great stuff as always thank you Kev I really appreciate you having me enjoy the night like I said like uh, 
they're doing it right there and one of the one of the greats i'm so happy to see that he's there and being celebrated in that way yeah and i i agree they, they probably should have retired that one in vancouver too but you know what you think connects can do what they want to do thanks kev all the best uh, Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com out of Vancouver joins us Thursdays. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast or call them at 403-248-3344 for pickup or delivery. It's Pat and Wes along with you this hour on Flames Talk. Our producers, Cam and Shan. Thank you, boys. And uh, this is the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Line and safe simplify your life with a security ecosystem go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution